Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. Good to have you with us, everybody. There is a lot of people dialing in for the broadcast today. It is September 28th, 2015. I say that for many of you that listen to this on a downloaded basis. Just want to say thank you for joining us. We appreciate you being a part of the broadcast and making this one of the many ways that you can stay up on all that's going on in the industry today. Very excited about today's hot topic. Of course, you hear me say that every broadcast. I may lose some credibility on that, but I really am excited about this broadcast because we have joining us today David Stevens, President and CEO of the Mortgage Bankers Association, who was recently named in the list of the 100 most powerful business leaders in the world. In 2015, you can check it out at www.richtopia, R-I-C-H-T-O-P-I-E-R-T-P-O-I-A, P-O-P-I-A, oh, man, dot com. Man, that goes to show when I'm trying to do that fast. Anyway, check it out, Richtopia. You can figure it out from what I'm saying. This broadcast created by mortgage professionals for mortgage professionals, and we're the proud recipient of the Innovation Award by Progress and Lending. Certainly not because of my ability to read my notes in front of my screen. Anyway, certainly glad that you're tuning in. Very special thank you goes out to United Guarantee, who again happens to be the MI leader for the fourth consecutive year in a row. They're doing some really neat things. Recently, they've been running the the top industry professionals. They've been looking for people to be nominated for the Lender of the Year and various categories, and I encourage you to go check out what they're doing. also, when you look at some of the things they're doing, it's some of the most innovative things that they're working on from a technology standpoint about underwriting turnaround times. Uh, rather extraordinary, some things that are happening. If you're not signed up to do business with United Guarantee, you need to be. Also, get a hold of one of their representatives. They're a very informative, great group of people, been around forever, real proud about our association, real pleased and proud of the association with United Guarantee. Go check it out at UGCorp.com or go to our website, and on the upper right-hand corner on the homepage, you will find their logo. You click on it, it'll get you right into their website. Also, want to say thank you to and uh, our other sponsor, Velma. V-E-L-M-A stands for Virtual Electronic Marketing Assistant. They are dedicated to helping you build stronger and more profitable relationships and they have this wonderful set-it-and-forget-it auto campaign, or you can get in and really create real custom campaigns on the fly. And they're a great partner. They make sure you get, they get the word out, but they really help you craft your message. That's one of the reasons I'm so pleased with them. Also, our newest sponsor, Motivity Solutions, the mortgage industry's leading business intelligence technology of the nation. Go check out them at their website motivitysolutions.com. We're excited. I'm really excited about this segment because we're going to be recording Ty, Tyler Sherman, who is the, he and his brother Todd founded, founded that company. And we are going to be having them on each week, giving us a KPI or key performance indicator uh, update on what is the hottest one. He's going to record some comments. We're going to play that each and every week. So it's more content here on the broadcast and compliments of our newest sponsor, Motivity Solutions. If you're interested in sponsoring, 
Get a hold of me. Love to talk to you. David at TransformationalMortgageSolutions.com, my new website, and as well as my new email address. Also, a special thank you goes out to our regular contributors, Alice Alvey, Joe Farr, and Andy Shell. We thank you all for joining us. Now, first of all, I want to run through some of the convention updates that we have coming up. We're going to be talking about the annual NBA conference that runs from October 18th through the 21st. It's in San Diego. If you're not registered for this, you need to be. It is one of the more important conferences, and David's going to be talking about that a little bit later in the broadcast during the Hot Topic segment, so we'll save that. Also coming up is the NBA Commercial Multifamily Technology Officer Roundtable, and that is uh, November 4th and the 5th. Also, November 18th and the 20th, the Accounting and Financial Management Conference. I think Andy Shell, the profit doctor, will be speaking at that, if I'm not mistaken. That's at the Roosevelt, New Orleans, in New Orleans. And then also December 2nd through the 4th is the Independent Mortgage Bankers Conference. Always an excellent conference for those of you in the independent mortgage banking world. Join up. Be there. Join the One Voice, One uh, Industry uh, that is just so important that we have our voices heard. You hear from some powerful speakers. I've spoken at this event a number of times. It's well attended, and you're really listening to issues, especially those of you that are independent mortgage bankers. You listen to the issues that are facing your business, your company, and uh, what's going on, and you'll hear from other independent mortgage bankers. So the last one, again, is January 1st, the MBA's Mergers and Acquisition Workshop in Phoenix. There's a lot more. Check it out on their website, mba.org conferences dash and and dash education forward slash conferences dash and dash meetings check it out it's good stuff joe far good to have you with us as you always are hey, so faithful looking at the markets right now seeing ourselves some uh, nice price improvement what's going on yeah well uh, as uh stocks are selling off mbs are are improving so uh you know if you're if you're looking at your portfolio uh, at the end of the day you might not like seeing what you're seeing, but uh, certainly your customers are going to like their mortgage rates. Yeah, no kidding. So we're staying below 4%. That's good news. looks like we're pretty Yeah, sure. you know, it, looking back over the last few months, Dave, we're, we're really near the clo- the best best levels for mortgage rates since the beginning of June. Uh, yeah, might not I feel just, that way, but we've, we've creeped a little better. Yeah, it's, it's encouraging to see what's going on, especially when we got past the last Fed statement, and they said that they're not raising interest rates, and some speculate we may see that in December, but just listen to Jim Rickards, um, who wrote the, the famous book and well-published book, is or well, no, the thousands of, I mean, how many millions of copies it sold, but it's Currency Wars, and I uh, just got a signed copy of it today, but he was talking about, he says he does not think the Feds are going to be raising interest rates they cannot afford to, but we're going to have Mike Frantoni on next week, talking about some of this, the NBA chief economist, so um, that's it's just real interesting to see what's going on. So the, this is in, impacted by the Dow, is what you're saying, which is your time of your notes is down 230. Where is it at right now? Two, down 250 right now. Ooh. Yeah. We're in cash. Yeah. Okay. So let's run through the rest of the good news here for the day. Well, the, yeah, the economic data, the, the core PCE came out this morning, and it was only only showed a year-over-year increase of 1.3%. Yeah. That is considerably lower than the most recent reading of the core PC, uh, CPI, which was at 1.8%. Right. And, and just so you know, uh, you you probably know, but uh, core PCE measures uh, an updated basket of goods and services. It's 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 updated from time to time to be more reflective of what people are usually spending their money for, whereas. Uh, CPI is a statics basket of goods and services, so it's uh, mm. you know it may be pricing things that aren't aren't quite as relevant. Which is 
probably one of the reasons the Fed prefers the core PCE as the measure for inflation. So uh, that at 1.3, long way away from the 2% uh, objective. Then uh, also came out this morning, August pending home sales. Uh, yeah, disappointed in that they fell. Yeah, they fell 1.4 percent from from July when a when an increase of uh, half a point was expected. And uh, you know the data didn't have a lot to do with, even though both are, are bond friendly pieces of information. The the bond prices really kind of took off uh, later in the morning when uh, when the stock prices uh, started to fall. So. Uh, Last week, you know, fairly quiet when you compare it to the week before the week of the Fed meeting. MBS prices gave back about a quarter of a point last week uh, following the the nice rally in the week of the Fed meeting. Uh, The economic data didn't have a big effect on the market. What came out was generally a little weaker than expected, uh, you know, and and that ordinarily you'd expect to be favorable for MBS prices and mortgage rates. and, And, in fact, we did give back some of the gains. Last week, uh, existing home sales fell a little short of expectations. Durable orders also fell from the prior month, and September consumer sentiment fell from August. The bright spot, though, was uh, new home sales. They came out better than expected and, and at the best level since uh, yeah. 2008. Yeah, so it was, that was a nice gain. And, and second quarter GDP kind of is history now, but uh, it was revised to 3.9% from 3.7%. Now, speaking of of the chance of a a Fed increase this year, Janet Yellen, in a speech Thursday of last week, Thursday evening, uh, made a couple comments. One is she confirmed that she is also in the camp of Fed members that expect to see that expect to raise the Fed funds rate this this year. So it's either the October or the December meeting. Uh, She also uh, wanted to. you know, ensure that investors know that they believe that the U.S. economy is is strong enough to handle a, a rate increase, and that the headwinds coming from overseas uh, slowing economic slowdowns are not enough to cause a uh, a significant effect on the U.S. economy. So, yeah, you know, I don't know. That was new news. Um, in that she puts herself in that camp, and and so I, the author you mentioned. Uh, Maybe wrote, wrote what he yeah. wrote before she said that, but uh, that that gives it. Well, he, uh, I think it's now a fifty-fifty chance that. Yeah, I think that, one of the things he says is he doesn't have. They don't. They don't have to raise rates. They just have to talk about it. It has the basically the same effect, and so he says you're going to hear more talk, and uh, he does not anticipate any action following through on that. It'll be it'll be real interesting. We could get Tony's we'll uh, thoughts on that next week for sure. Anyway, yeah. what's on the calendar this week, my friend? Yeah, you know, not not a whole lot until late in the week, which is when the jobs report comes out and ISM yep. comes out. Uh, prior to that, you know, the the typical things we got the ADP report coming out on uh, Wednesday, yeah. along with Chicago BMI, and then jobless claims and construction spending uh, uh, also on the day of the uh, on Thursday. So yeah, the big ones are the ISM report coming out on Thursday at ten o'clock Eastern time, and and of course the non-farm payrolls report that will come out on Friday at eight thirty. Uh, consensus is calling for about 205,000 net new jobs and no change in the unemployment rate. And then we have uh, some interesting chatter out there. I, I, I look at uh, calculated risk. I read that reg- regularly every day and, and pay attention to that. And they're talking about the fact that we could have, 
you know, there's a, a remote chance, I guess, of government shutdown because of the budget uh, getting passed. But fewer and fewer people, more people I'm talking about say that's not a big issue. But it is a, one of the things outside the calendar, economic calendar, that right. that could right. go into this. But, you know, Rickards thinks they'll, they'll resolve it and beforehand and as well as many of the others. But it's on the radar screen for those of us that are looking at it. Joe, thank you so much, folks. If you're you not bet. signed up with MBS Quote Line, I'm not sure how you're uh, managing this market. We've got the potential for some significant volatility. And how are you managing your volatility? You've got to be dialed up to a service. This is an excellent service. They get right to the point and give you what you need to know rather than doing or writing a big analysis. I don't know about you. I don't want to read the analysis. Now, sometimes I do, but it's, I, when I'm making decisions about pipeline, <laughs> I want to have it right here. So stay tuned. We've got Paul Marlowe coming up right after the ad break. Be right back. Be back right after this quick break. Looking for that competitive edge? MBS Quoteline delivers live market coverage for originators. Get up-to-the-minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur. Get MBS prices as trades happen. Straight to your computer, email, cell phone, or PDA. Know in advance when your investors will reprice. Make better lock float decisions and increase your income. Be the expert your clients expect. And know what's moving interest rates right now, tomorrow, and beyond. MBS Quoteline. Delivering live market coverage for originators. Learn more about MBS Quoteline today at MBS mbsquoteline.com mbsquoteline.com 646-716-4972 The Lincoln on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lincoln. Good to have you back with us. We've got our good friend and uh, powerful contributor, Paul Mollo, on the line with us. Paul, good to have you here with us. Looking at Bancroft's story right here is on your website. By the way, folks, if you're not dialed in, Another great website for information is www.imfnews.com. What's Brian Bancroft talking about here? Well, you know, we, we crunch, we keep crunching the numbers all the time, um, and the, the call report numbers as well as our own on origination data. But uh, John, this time got into you know loan sales, secondary market loan sales in the second quarter, and we came up with basically that commercial banks and thrifts sold 198 billion. Uh, in the second quarter, that was up about 20% from the first quarter, and, and basically it just goes to show you, you know, that there's a lot of banks out there who are using gain-on-sale accounting, and, and that's how they're making money, and they made really good money in the second quarter. And, and I think that's probably not really big news to anyone, but you know, that's that's how you do it. Uh, who do you sell it to? Well, Fannie and Freddie. <laughs> and, and listen, I'm sure Dave Stevens would probably talk a little bit about what's what's ahead for Fannie and Freddie, or at least touch on it. Yeah. And you know, there's you know, with this political season and and all the focus on the elections, you know, I should just point out that you know, and I, and I, don't, I haven't been watching the debates, you know, in a detailed manner, but I don't think anyone's talking about housing as an issue or Fannie and Freddie. And, and no. you know, it would be nice if someone started talking about stuff like that, nor the budget deficit. And that's it seems that's to not my... show up. Yeah, and that Paul doesn't yeah, seem to show up I, in any I, of the discussions for the last couple elections until we get towards the end. Oh yeah, what about housing? And you're the biggest well, in, and generator the of economic growth. Yeah, and it's a it's a ticking time bomb, and it's gonna yeah. you know it's gonna be really ugly if you know we don't start thinking about it. And, and you know I don't know. It's I'm always perplexed. While I, that's why I'm glad Kasich's in the race because you know here's a guy who helped balance the budget back when Clinton right. was in the White House. But anyway, that's a sidebar to this whole thing. But it's it's an important yeah, yeah. topic, and it'll be nice to see you get more political play. Uh, we also have the story Rushmore Loan Management Services. Uh, we reported on them a couple months back. They, they've been up for grabs, and then they weren't. There wasn't a deal, but now they're back. Apparently, it's some Canadian pension fund, I'm told, 
is mm-hmm. looking at buying them. Uh, I think they might have been one of the suitors earlier in the year. Uh, Rushmore, like many of these companies, uh, they're privately held. We don't know much about them. And we're working on a related story. There's two other subservices that might be uh, hitting the market real shortly, and we'll get into that later in the week on um, in our News Weekly Inside Mortgage Finance. Tom Ressler of our staff was at the uh, NBA conference last week. He followed an interesting story, uh, quoting Pe- Peggy Tuhig of yeah. uh, the CFPB. And, you know, she's you know basically said, you know, all the stuff about TRID, you know, lo and behold, you know, we're getting a lot of service <laughs> complaints, by the way. Uh, and it, it seems like she might be setting the table for something that's that's coming up. Uh, a lot of different servicing violations she talked about. So that's that's on the website today. We have a, a new report. I think that either came out late last week or early today, uh, where the New Hampshire delegation of Congress was uh, writing a letter to uh, Cordray, you know, urging him to establish a, um, a once again a, a whole harmless period on trade. Trade obviously is a huge issue for everyone right now. Yep. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yes. Uh, also, there's a couple of trade groups, including MBA, um, that um, actually, I'm sorry, this is the CHLA. They were talking about CHLA. CC reform. Yeah, just not not the four trade groups. That was part of another story. Uh, that actually is uh, on our website. But anyway, you know, Community uh, Home Lenders Association, that's headed by Scott Olson, who, by the way, is a former top mm-hmm. aide to Barney Frank. He's talking about GSE reform. He wants Congress to start thinking about it now, even though, as everyone knows, there's no chance of anything meaningful being passed until we have a new president in Congress. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, uh, that's sort of the long and short of it all. Uh, we do mention the four trade groups that sent a letter this morning to uh, Henserling and, and Maxine Waters, uh, asking them to, to, you know, kill some of the changes that the Fifth is contemplating about FHLB membership. Uh, one thing we cover closely is the captive insurance rule about captives being FHLB members because of the REITs. The REITs really right. want to be a part of that system, and that's something we focus on a lot. Uh, Auckland got a break, by the way. Uh, they got pulled off. Um, the Standard & Poor's credit watch list, so that's good news for that company, which has struggled for a long time. And just one last note, Mountain View's got a whole loan uh, auction that uh, I think the bids are due tomorrow, $80 million pool. So that's all the, uh, all the essential stuff for today. Good stuff. Great website. Check it out, everybody. www.imfnews.com. Great resource. A lot of stories. Paul and his team are doing a great job staying top of it. Thanks, Paul. For being Thank here, you. appreciate it so much. I always look forward to seeing you. Are you going to be? You got to make it to San Diego, Paul. Got to see you there. Whoever, okay. who do we need to I'll talk to there? Want to see you there? All right. Okay. Thanks. All right. Bye. Alice, good to have you on the line here. We, we were, you know, a lot of people say we we talk about the the chatter before the conference call, and Andy asked Alice a really great question uh, regarding one of the trid things, uh, trid details. And so, Alice, good to have you on here. Looking forward to your report. What you got for us? Oh, well, thanks, Dave. Yeah, so Andy, uh, you, uh, I'll rephrase Andy's question, but Andy, feel free to jump in if there's more details to it. So he was asking if the closing disclosure can be given to the realtor. And the mm-hmm. challenge you have is that the borrower's, you know, has a lot of personal information in there. And so right now it is determined that it's a privacy issue and you would not be giving that CD to the realtor. So the title company will have a worksheet, excuse me, a disbursement worksheet, other type of settlement form uh, that they'll be able to give to the realtor that has the right type of information that they're available. They'll get it at settlement. Interesting. So you're saying don't they should not because of the amount of personal information in there. Don't hand it out. 
Right. Excuse me. I just got like a, a frog in my throat. I guess that's the best way to put it. So, yeah, so the, at the time that you're delivering it to the borrower, for example, you're not going to be passing it around to everybody else involved in the transaction. We give it to the borrower. We wait our three days. And we have our usual relationship with giving information and exchanging it with the title company. And that's as far as it's going right now. So certainly my big asterisk by all of this is follow your company policy because <laughs> there are differences of opinion on some of these things. Um, but that's the mo- that's at least the stance we have to take. Uh, so TRID is the big headline. I guess, and Andy, I should no just double check anything else to that question. Uh, make sure I can. No, Alice. You handled it perfectly. Thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. So the the challenge, you know, we're getting the 911 calls. I have one of my great customers, you know, the person who's been leading their TRID project the entire time for this last year and a half, that person gave their notice and left on Friday. So, you know, Ooh, you think the worst thing to you on the Friday before <laughs> your, your project lead decides to up and leave. So that's a good Not warning good. sign for everybody. Do you have two project leads? <laughs> well, what happened to you if that happened, right? Or if someone just oh plain got sick, Gosh, right? I just got a pit in my stomach when I heard that news. Gosh, I mean, as a business oh. owner, you'd imagine it's like that's that's not good. That is no. not good. I'm laughing with a that's nervous not laugh anyway. To replace, right? If you think of all the LOS coordination that goes on with that. So anyway, we're gonna jump in and help them out and you know, be some boots on the ground for them. Uh, so that's essentially what's going on right now with TRID is everyone's feeling the pinch of all the planning that they've done for the last, you know, year and a half plus uh, now has to all happen together as a well-planned, well-oiled machine, you know, on a week from today. Essentially, for those applications, everyone's trying to guess if they should even let their loan officers take applications over the weekend and, and who's actually going to work on Sunday maybe to just go test a few things out. Uh, so there's a lot of challenges. Of, we do see that folks are very much focused on getting that LE right, and unfortunately there's a lot of trailing implementation that's going on for uh, folks leveraging the fact that they won't have a closing hopefully before October 15th. Um, so anyway, that's that's kind of the state of the industry that we'll, from what we're seeing right now. Very, very much still a mixed bag of uh, companies feeling any kind of optimism that they might be able to succeed, uh, but certainly doing everything they can. Um, I will let you know, I mean, just to talk about something else, uh, we had a representative, uh, Brat, publish a, a HR 3567 to repeal Humda. I mean, it's this short little... Bill, um, you know, I'm going, what makes someone want to spend the time on that, for starters, right? I mean, I'm, not, yeah. I, I'm trying to even yes. think of how this was on anybody's radar to turn into a big deal. And, I mean, obviously, if you think about the scope of home reporting, it is very extensive. Uh, it doesn't op- open up a lot of work for lenders to defend the data. Um, and a lot of times the data is not on that report. It's in the weeds within the files and the individual lender. And, of course, we have that pending rule, so we don't have a final of what our Honda data is going to have to look like in 2017. So maybe it's a little bit of a preemptive strike on that. Uh, so we'll watch to see if it by chance it gets any legs. But right now it's uh, all hands on deck for TRID. So I'm going to pass it back to you, Dave, so we can talk more to Dave Stevens and get his take on what's going on in the world. One of our listeners just texted me a quick question for you, Alice. It just is, they had read somewhere that CFPB is not going to be intensely in working on enforcement. Any thoughts on that? So a quick response to our listener on that. Any thoughts? 
Uh, you have to be ready October 3rd. So I don't know how you define intensely enforcing, right? I mean, I, I don't want to be the company that they're coming in and you're having to try and define intense and enforce. Right, right. right. Yeah. Be ready. Definition. That's exactly right. Perfect right, answer. Right. Just, uh, just focus on I'm being ready. Don't, don't <laughs> lean on that concept. Uh, be ready. Bottom line of that, yes. Don't assume that, listeners. Get ready. Be ready. If you have any problems, call Alice. She's excellent at this. Alice, thank you so much for being here. Looking forward to uh, having your participation in the interview with David. We'll be right back after this brief break. If you have questions about mortgage regulations, Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage U give you the edge. Good to have you with us, everybody. Let's bring in Sam Garcia. Interesting story on the www.mortgagedaily website that I'm looking at right now. He's talking. Sam, good to have you with us, by the way. I want to make sure you're there. Yeah, thank you for having me, sir. Good. You're, the, the story on your website, outcome of Quicken case could impact social media. found that very interesting. Give us a quick rundown. Yeah, there is a uh, action that was taken uh that's winding up going into a uh, uh, – let me just open that up real quick. There's a, there's a case from the National Labor Relations Board where they're right. basically saying that the uh, policies over at Quicken uh, might be uh, in opposition to what would be allowed as far as, uh, you know, when it comes to forming unions and things like that and letting employees talk. So Quicken's, of course, you know, saying, no, they're, they're doing all right, but uh, – the administrative uh, law judge is going to take a look at this case on November 2nd, and the uh, importance of it is that, you know, it, it, it basically quickens limits some of what their employees could say. You know, they don't want the employees out there saying bad things about the company or telling the media things that really the employees aren't authorized to do. And and the NLRB is basically saying, well, no, that could infringe on employees' rights and ability to communicate mm. um, as if they want to form a union or something like that. So, you know, um, what came up there is if social media and how could it be impacted because you got employees out there saying stuff uh, about their employer, whether it's good or bad, and, uh, and you know, will this be allowed in the future? So uh, it would be interesting to see what comes of that. Fascinating. What Lots of other great information on your site. Encourage people to check out that story. I mean, social media is going to have a big impact in the future of how we um, – communicate what we're doing on that and it's uh real interesting stuff came up at the northeast or the new england mortgage banking conference where i spoke at uh just recently in the last week or two here and very fascinating where everyone's focusing in on what the social media policy should be for their company so it's a good article i encourage you to read it some of the other things your website let's run through it quickly here got not a lot of great information here my friend yeah, let's uh, let's go right to uh, where mortgage activity was. Our mortgage market yep. index was 136 last week, uh, and that index, which is a reflection of rate locks by users of open close, was down 3% for the week. 
but refinance activity surged 21%. So we saw rates drop and uh, prompted a lot of people to, you know, lock their rates in for refinances. Um, over at the Mortgage Bankers Association, they put out their uh, new, latest forecast for this month, and they raised their forecast for refinances this year to $590 billion uh, versus the $570 billion they predicted in uh, August. Mm-hmm. So the uh, refinances look a little stronger at the mortgage bankers. Uh, FHA, uh, we got some data from them and analyzed it, and we came up with that uh, endorsements by FHA during July, and that includes single-family, home equity conversion mortgages, and Title I loans were up 4% in July. Um, That was the best month since at least 2013. Um, 30-day delinquency dropped to its lowest point since uh, July 2012. So good news at FHA. Uh, credit union failures. We've had a few of those recently, and um, in fact, as of uh, last week, we've uh, we've uh, tracked the conservatorship or liquidation of 11 credit unions so far this year. And you compare that to just six failed banks this year. Um, you got more credit unions that have gone down recently than banks. Bank failures have slowed a lot. We've seen we saw those peak a couple of years ago. And the last time uh, credit union failures were uh, more than bank failures was in 2007. Um, delinquency. Black Knight put out a report that indicated non-current mortgage rate of 6.2% in August. Uh, that was nine basis points worse than in July, and the deterioration was concentrated in uh, excluding foreclosures in the 30-day rate, uh, which was up uh, 11 basis points, while the foreclosure inventory rate was down three basis points. So uh, some new delinquency that came in. Um, Freddie Mac reported its uh, monthly operational uh, data, and its purchases and issuances uh, fell 21% uh, from a month earlier to $33 billion in August. But uh, 90-day delinquency fell again, so that was down three basis points, and it was the lowest delinquency rate for Freddie since at least uh, October 2008. Um, the CFPB last week announced a settlement with Hudson City Savings Bank. Uh, the bank allegedly discriminated against black and Hispanic borrowers, and the announcement said that this represents the largest redlining settlement in history to provide such direct subsidies for the amount they're providing. Uh, a couple other quick things. Uh, layoffs were announced in Iowa last week by Aquin, and that represents 10% of their U.S. staff. So it's a mm. significant uh, number of people being laid off there. Uh, Fitch put out a report that said 60-day delinquency on pre-2009 RMBS has fallen 60 basis points over the last year to 9.3%. And the report was really highlighting the good performance of jumbos. Um, Carrington Mortgage was uh, came up in our uh, report about the CFPB mortgage complaints, which uh, were up 16% overall for the industry from a year earlier. And the biggest That's overall increase- CFPB's complaints are up 16% overall, or overall sure mortgage complaints? Yeah, mortgage. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. 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 And, Did they and then, report uh, the- how much? What percentage of the increase was on the servicing side versus the origination side? You know, um, they discussed uh, some various types of complaints. We don't have that broken down, which I'd certainly be glad to go analyze that for you. But uh, it it kind of referenced it without saying specifically servicing and origination. Um, And then finally, uh, Hope now reported loan modification volume slipped to just over 33,000 modifications in July for more than uh, 40,000 the month before. And both... uh, I'm sorry, more than 34,000 the month before, and both proprietary and HAMP volume was down. So uh, that's basically it for our highlights for the last week, and I'm looking forward to hearing uh, your segment with David Stevens. 
Yeah, looking forward to it as well. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, Sam. Check out what Sam provides for you regularly each and every day You at MortgageDaily.com. Don't worry, I'm not going to spell it. My mouth's just not working that well. I'm trying to say it too fast. Anyway, Sam, you can email Sam at samgarcia at mortgagedaily.com or reach him by phone at 214-521-1300. Sam, great to have you here. Look forward to seeing you back here next week. Thank you, sir. You bet. Let's run over to the Profit Doctor. Profit Doctor, you're doing another webinar series on behalf of the MBA again, backed by popular demand again and again and again. It's a really a popular series, Andy. Tell us a little bit about Thanks, some of the Dad. stuff that you're covering in this uh, this webinar. And the audience, well, I understand, about... keeps growing, which explains why they keep having you back. Well, uh, yeah, I'll tell you. I want to tell you about the webinar that's tomorrow, and also about the accounting conference, real quickly here. Okay, so we're having the accounting webinar, the third of four ser- uh, four part series. The third part is uh, tomorrow. It's not too late to sign up. Go to mba.org, go to education, and you can sign up for the accounting class. So tomorrow we're talking about hedging, and this is hedging that accountants need to understand in order to post all the journal entries you've got to record from secondary marketing. So like, if you're a loan officer and you wonder about where rates come from, attending this session would be a great way to get a perspective. And ah, if, good, if, yeah. if you, ever, you, you ever wonder why the secondary marketing guys walk around with his days looked on their, looked on their face, <laughs> yeah, a, a, attend this conference. Attend the conference tomorrow, and you'll see why they are always confused about stuff. Yeah, now, on to the real, real quickly, Dave, because I know we want to have lots of time for uh, David Stevens. The accounting conference, the accounting financial management conference, is coming up at the end of uh, November, and I will be speaking there about how to communicate with the board. And this is a really uh-huh, great session. topic. Going to be a great conference, and you know, it's it's kind of like. The, the board of the CEO may ask the management, you know, well, why did our gain change? Why did our gain on sale change? And, you know, the answer is, well, the decreasing PSA tables impacted the service a multiple curve. And they, <laughs> sure. they're looking at them and going, now what? Say what? <laughs> but, but really, the answer, is, the, answer, the answer is we got better prices on our loan sales. You know, it doesn't have to always be so complicated. And that's part of what we're doing is we're, we're demystifying the way to communicate with the CEO and the Good. board. And that's going to be at that conference along with a whole bunch of really amazing other topics. Yeah. So I encourage people to attend those. And obviously the that one is in the, the, the Roosevelt. It's the Roosevelt in New Orleans. Great place to go to have it's, a conference too. That's a, that's a, a, a um, uh, Waldorf Astoria. Hilton wow. Waldorf Astoria is a great hotel. Yep. Great place to go. Fun. I'll be uh I'll be going to New Orleans uh on Wednesday to speak at a conference there. So that's good, Andy. Thank you so much. Appreciate you being here. Uh for people yep. to get a hold of you, uh the best way for them to connect with you is uh send me an email, Andy at MBS dash team dot com or go to our website, MBS dash team dot com and just it's easy to find me. Just click on send me an email, give me a call, I look forward to talking all about accounting and hedging and all these fun topics. 
Great stuff. Appreciate you, Andy, very much for being here. We're going to get right in to the topic uh, or the, the hot topic segment right now. We have as our special guest, again, David Stephen, president and CEO of the Mortgage Bankers Association. Very honored to have David here with us again. He's so gracious to come on uh, anytime we invite him. Want to have him on more. And I, I look at what's going on in the industry. We look at all the issues facing our industry and how what a challenging environment it is we have. It's not surprising that Richtopia uh, named David Stevens one of the, I think it was 79th of the 100 people, most powerful business leaders in the world. And this is a real credible survey. I went on their website and checked it out. Very interesting. And um, it, it's very good to have you with us, David. You don't need an introduction, but it's good to have you back. Nonetheless, good to be, be here, here with David. us. You know, David, yeah, I, I think a lot you. of our li- it's always fun to have you, David. I mean that. I respect you both personally and professionally. Uh, the, <laughs> as I struggle to get everything out of my mouth, I'm always stand in amazement how articulate you are in communicating. And so you're one of the guys I go study as I try to get too much out of my mouth at one time, and it gets all muddled up there. But you just do a great job. <laughs> you're a great leader, and, and we look at at how important it is to articulate the issues and really be on top of them. And that's really what this broadcast is about today and why I've invited you on. So we're going to kick off this discussion and interview, we're going to get it around to Alice and Andy and Joe, uh, but I really want to kick off with what is on your radar screen? What in your mind are the hottest issues that are facing us? It's kind of a SWOT analysis. So if you could do a quick SWOT yeah. for us, strength, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, let's, let's start the highlight, obviously trade going into effect um, in a couple of days. We, um, we just completed a survey of the top 100 CEOs um, on the residential side. I had 71 responses on their readiness related to TRID, and you know it, it, was, it was mixed across the board. I've been sharing these uh, this feedback with folks at the bureau. Um, nothing that can really be done about it, but I know everybody's uh, kind of buckling in to find out is this going to be a Y2K where we all uh, think the lights aren't going to work when we wake up uh, the next morning, or uh, will we manage through it and you know, depending on who you talk to, the, the response is different. But anyway, we're staying, we're staying close contact on that. But the most important issue related to that is we're still working hard to try to get an explicit non-enforcement period, um, and we're hoping to use some of the feedback we're getting now to keep pushing that. We're also working on efforts on the Hill. In that regard, I'm not sure we're going to get anywhere, but it's one of the top issues. So that, that's that at a high level. Trids, obviously, you know, what everybody in the industry is consumed with right now. Um, right. I would add. There's a whole second tier of things related to enforcement. Um, you know, using the False Claims Act uh, on the HUD side, obviously the Quicken lawsuit is the most pronounced, but there are other actions that are occurring. Uh, there are independent mortgage bankers who are right now working on settlement discussions on False Claims Act cases with the Bureau that aren't in the media. Um, the use of false claims at HUD is uh, for HUD uh, defect on mortgages is an extraordinary overreach and I think really threatens the overall program. We're trying to fix that in one measure through uh, modifications to the loan level certification. And in that regard, there's just a lot of work going on in uh, in that area. I I met with the secretary last Friday with a group of individuals who are um, focused on trying to make certain that that there's better clarity into the kinds of defects that lenders are going to be held accountable so that, you know, minor immaterial mistakes don't result in trouble damages through some sort of DOJ action. I think it's a really important measure, uh, particularly for all those involved in the FHA. And then on the other side of the aisle, I'll tell you that um, 
we have we have great concerns about some of the actions coming out of the bureau and you know as one who's been a long-term supporter of the good things the CFPB has done um, there's a story in Politico today that's you know really an aggressive attack on mortgage servicing, um, yeah. and it uses the uh, it uses the uh, consumer um, uh, database, the complaint database, as evidence in the writer's mind that servicers are doing a bad job, and it just reinforces, in my view, the really irresponsible way that that database is being used. It's you know completely unqualified. Uh, complaints at length uh, now with narratives from consumers who are saying they got dealt a bad hand either on the servicing side or the origination side you know without validation it lacks complete credibility from my perspective and it's something that now is being used as evidence in other stories about how our industry is operating it's certainly not doing anything to help create confidence in the marketplace so you know those are some between enforcement between getting the way we communicate our, about our industry from leadership in Washington, and that's from Rich Cordray to the White House to um, uh, HUD to members in Congress to create better confidence in the marketplace, and then to dealing with you know the kind of regulations that we're implementing right now are really on the forefront. There's a lot more going on on GSE reform. There's piece of legislation that's going to go through Congress probably in the next week or so on uh, pay caps for the executives of Freddie and Fannie, and other measures taking place. So there's, you know, the list goes on and on, but those are some of the sh- sort of short uh, things that we're working on. Well, when let's go to the, back to the CFPB for a minute, then I'm going to run over to Alice because yeah. this is definitely down her line. Uh, I saw Brian Webster uh, leave the CFPB. I think he's heading over to Wells Fargo. And uh, someone <laughs> I have really enjoyed some great interaction with, uh, one of the guys that yeah. I think has just done a great job of communicating, again, in, in, a, in a way that kind of makes you start feeling almost like they're, they're trying to get it right. But I'm wondering with some of the recent exits out of, a key positioning exits out of, of CFPB, if this is reinforcing a harsher, hardline uh, position that we're going, we can anticipate moving forward. Because Brian seemed to be the voice of reason. He he, he spoke both where where we're complicit in our uh, uh, in our responsibility, and also talked. I mean, very supportive of the industry. He he tried to be a voice of reason there. Any thoughts on the direction of the CFPB well, as it relates to getting tougher? Yeah, I, I wouldn't interpret the departures as some sort of new enforcement regime. Keep in mind, Steve Antonakis, who heads all, yeah. who headed all enforcement, is le- has left the bureau also. So there's, yeah. um, look, these are these are political beings, these uh, regulatory machines, and private market sort of uh, background participants, uh, particularly coming in in somewhat quasi-political roles, are. Uh, you know, you should never view them as long-term. We had Pete Carroll in there uh, before Brian, and Pete left, and now is at Quicken Loans. Um, there are some good people there. Trisha McClung is in there. She worked with me and for me at Freddie Mac, and she's in the bureau today uh, as we Real speak. There's still person. plenty of access. And I'll tell you, as one who uh, speaks to Rich Cordray on a very frequent level, and I've, I've worked with him when I was in the administration and, and now today, you know, he, he has um, – and I, you can sh- I'll shoot me after the fact. I think the guy does have a very balanced view about the industry. He has he's not an industry person, so he also believes the industry made a lot of mistakes, and he thinks there's still mistakes being made on the servicing front. But at the same time, you know we're really trying to emphasize upon him the importance of clarifying that the problems of the past uh, are not the way we create a pathway to the future, and so. 
What we want him to talk about at our annual convention, where he'll be on the podium, yeah, is to also to make clear that, and we want him to make clear that the rules we put in place today, we have the most regulated, the safest and soundest origination market for consumers that we've ever had in our history. Uh, in this mortgage business, and that ought to be trumpeted. Um, we ought to be tra- creating confidence for consumers, not having every headline being the latest enforcement action. It seems like uh, we're still you know, yeah. living based on actions of the past, and we've got to find a way to move beyond that. Uh, if there's anyone that's capable of helping bring about that change is going to be the MBA, One Voice, One Industry. I love that theme. Let's get over to Alice. Alice, this is a hot topic. You, you cover this always, so let's uh, turn the mic over to you for a couple of the questions to David. Oh, great. Yeah, welcome to the show, Dave. So you rattled off a lot of really important topics uh, at the uh, as your kind of kickoff there, and one of them I want to circle back to is the need for an explicit non-enforcement clause. I mean, do you think that is something that we might get some uh, some more uh, traction with in the coming months. I don't expect we'll have it by the third, but maybe you know in this first uh, next quarter. Well, um, so Alice, I think a lot's going to depend on on what happens after October third. It, it, we're clearly not going to get anything prior to that. Sure. Um, you know, Rich made a clear position and uh, statement to the marketplace that says the bureau will not enforce. Uh, is for institutions that are, with all good faith, looking to implement the rule. And I know that gave a varied level of comfort to most of the lenders on, uh, that participate in the marketplace today. I actually am pretty comfortable personally that I, I do not believe the Bureau will use this initial implementation period as a means to get gotchas in there. What it doesn't protect uh, lenders against is private rights of action. And in that regard, we've been really explicit that we think a formal statement needs to be made. Um, I think the Bureau will do everything possible not to do that, um, and I look for comments made from the podium in October to perhaps give better clarity, and since media will be in the room, including folks like Paul and um, uh, others who will be there, it will be you know, a way to potentially get uh, some kind of messaging into the public domain. But um, you know, I think uh, as a bureau that has a lot of uh, legal advisors in it, you want to not close off your options. And I just think that the dynamic tension there makes it probably more difficult to give explicit legal cover uh, because, you know, when do you, when do you define the difference between, uh, you know, serious, egregious mistake and attempting to influence in good faith versus not? And I'm not sure the bureau wants to go to a, a pure get out of jail card for for everybody in case there's some reckless endangerment practices that uh, uh, some may participate in. So it's a difficult one, and it's uh, um, it's a difficult one for, the, for them to deal with. It's really difficult for us, and we're just trying to impress upon them the confusion and challenges of, of an operational implementation because this isn't about any lender not wanting to do the right thing. This is about systems providers and code arriving at the same time and being able to test and train and educate uh, in a system that requires real estate agents and consumers to get it right and home inspection firms and get final repairs done on homes and walkthroughs done at an earlier time frame and all this stuff that we all know has to get done sooner um, in a way that doesn't disrupt the housing system. So um, I think a little bit of this is going to be wait and see and let's look at what happens on October 3rd and the, and the, and the days following. And, and so all the things that you just mentioned would fall through in terms of how long that period might be as well. They're going to have to see how the whole thing plays out, and who knows whether they're still um, taking the same position after a quarter or well into 2016. 
Yep, absolutely. And you know, I think I think I think there are folks in the bureau, and this is where having people like Brian Webster and now Trisha McClung there, to, who actually know how the loan process works, um, right. because we all know it, it's a lot more complex. And you know, we put out a consumer website on the MBA uh, uh, website t- uh, a couple weeks ago, and we have we have a page consumer alert page on how to make sure you get through the process quicker. But as you all know, I mean, all of us who bought homes, a lot of us do the walkthroughs like the day before closing. That just can't happen anymore. I mean, you're going to have to move the, you're going to have to have all the contingencies cleared and the walkthrough done, you know, a week or more before closing so that the lender can create docs that don't have any changes at the last minute because some repair wasn't done appropriately. I mean, the list goes on and on in terms of possible effects that, and, and a sort of series of dominoes that are required to all fall in line in order to make the closing happen. And, and more importantly, if you have a series of closings all tied together because the buyer, the seller is buying another home, et cetera, et cetera, and you have several transactions all occurring in, um, in sequence, you know, the worst outcome would, here would be to have sort of a series of exploding loans because people aren't prepared. So this is, you know, this is really an important time we're heading into. Um, and no one here, and I'm certain all of you, are not saying that the forms and the new disclosures aren't good because, in fact, I think they are clear. I think the They're actually good. Rest yeah. Rule, They're actually yeah, yeah. I think so overall, this, this overall is just, improvement. This is about, a, this, this is about right. a whole group of people and institutions that actually want to do this the right way and not create unusual, unnatural uh, disruptions in the home buying process. And I think that's where the Bureau's ability to provide clarity uh, to an industry trying to get this right would actually be very helpful. Very helpful. Let's get over to Andy Shell, the profit doctor. Andy? Hey, David. Thanks for being on the show. I've got sure. a question, and, and, I, and I don't mean it as a gotcha to the industry, but I want to I want to ask a question because we're asking the CFPB for legitimate forbearance because there's a lot of stuff on TRID that's complicated, got to deal with. How do, what's the answer to this? And you know, CFPB doesn't even know the answer. The, the, the <laughs> concern I have is we when you look at the industry and you look at the CFPB, the CFPB has issued many mandates that affect the industry, some of which are years old now. They they issued the third-party management bulletin in March of 2012, so we've had three and a half years to deal with that. They've been issued mandates about compliance management systems. And, and what I'm seeing is that people are pretty cavalier about not implementing those systems effectively. So how can we, mm. as looking on lending, and how can the MBA say to the <laughs> folks, look, it, you got to take care of your basics we're asking for yeah, a jail-free card from the CFPB, but you guys are messing this other stuff up. But how, how is Richard Corbett going to say, yeah, we'll give you grace on the thread, but you know what, you still haven't done this other stuff right? Well, I will tell you that, and, and uh, Rich has told this to me and, and a, a few other uh, CEOs that I had in for a meeting a couple weeks ago, it is it is a bit confounding to the bureau and 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 I and I look I can look at this from both sides having run large operations and had to do changes like this, but at his point is you know if you're dependent on a vendor and they didn't provide you the needed code or the systems changes, you know you should take your business elsewhere and we of course had to slow them down and say you know that's easier said than done, um, switching platforms is not something you can do all that easily and it's um, a very integrated complex process but there is a bit of um, uh, pointing fingers opportunity here challenge I think we're all going to be faced with, uh, especially for those who, whose vendors didn't supply them what they needed until the bitter end and you didn't get a chance to fully test or train and make sure it's integrated with the other systems that, they have, that it has to communicate with. 
and we do know that happened. I mean, I know some I know some lenders and some systems uh, were prepared much earlier than others. I know I can name you lending institutions that were into testing, you know, eight, ten, eleven months ago, uh, and are fully ready and prepared and operational. And they gave me that in their survey results. Well, uh, and I can name you other institutions that depended on a single vendor for their front end system, and the vendor blew up. Um, and so. You know, these kinds of things are, are much more complicated than they seem. We've all been through change management efforts in companies we've worked at. This is the largest change management challenge in all of the rulemakings that have come out of Dodd-Frank or from the CFPB since implementation. No question. Um, so, you know, I, I can look at this from both sides. From my perspective, I think this isn't about, like, who's doing it right or wrong. We all know that there's going to be um, some that were more prepared than others. I think for those that deliberately, deliberately delayed, if there was, and thought there'd be some reprieve, that that's shame on them. But yep. uh, for the broad swath of the industry that you know is frantically trying to get there and depended on third parties to help them get there, and that the third parties were del- were late in providing needed code to help get their systems up and running, that's where I go to the bureau and say, hey man, let's just make sure we do not let the housing system uh, implode uh, because of this complexity and. You know, that's where I continue to go back to this non-enforcement period as an example of that. But it is yeah. it is difficult, and I think I think I think for those that didn't uh, take this as seriously and start deploying the right resources uh, a year ago, a year and a half ago, when the rule first uh, when we first got the final rule, it, you know, it's a bit of shame on them. Uh, but I think broadly that wasn't the case. Now let's run over to Joe Thank for you. a quick question. Then I want to spend some make sure we allow enough time here before you have to exit uh, to talk about the upcoming conference, Joe. Uh, so, Dave, you mentioned getting clarity from CFPB about the TRID. Where do we stand on clarity regarding mortgage servicing or marketing services agreements? <laughs> Service agreements. Uh, well, Joe, you brought up the other, you know, that's the other hot topic of the day. You could have a whole show just on MSAs. Um, I, I, I could give you some anecdotal feedback that I have written down from a very senior official who I can't name but would have a role in this enforcement area. Um, about this rule, about MSAs. And uh, these, are, these are quotes. Quote, uh, you have a good reason to be concerned. Uh, quote, there's a pending investigation, which you'll hear about. Uh, quote, it's very difficult to manage all the legal, legal risk involved. These are things I wrote down from a, uh, a meeting I had. And um, you know, I, think we're, I think we're in a period where we desperately need the Bureau to define and tell us what constitutes an MSA um, if they if if they're considered legitimate in the first place, according to the bureau, because we are seeing a redefining um, of uh, sort of RESPA compliance using marketing service agreements. We do know in the uh, uh, PHH case, as an example, in a relatively related uh, case, that there was a statement that um, um, you know, if it's considered an item of value into itself, that could become a violation of RESPA. So if a marketing service agreement does give, uh, regardless of how it's structured, um, value uh, to the institutions that create it, is that as an item of value, therefore a violation of RESPA? These are questions we have asked. We have sent a letter to uh, Richard Cordray and the Bureau asking them to provide clarity in this area. And quite frankly, I do expect that we will get some um, some sort of some sort of uh, 
policy or statement from the Bureau at minimum. Uh, we would love to see something more formal than that. But for all of us, you know, I, we start with what defines a marketing service agreement. Is every third-party agreement where there's, um, you know, some value exchange, is that is that considered a marketing service agreement? Where does it start? Where does it stop? What constitutes a legal one? What doesn't? Because today it's used, being used for competitive advantage and disadvantage. You know, prospect leaves the business um, of MSAs, and the next thing you know, their salespeople are being called upon by companies that allow them, saying, we allow them to come work for us. I mean, that's, that's just not a healthy environment to be operating. So I think we need that clarity from the Bureau. We're going we're gonna to push really hard here. Uh, I'm actually hoping we'll hear something more on this in the next few months. Are you going to be able to talk about any of this at the annual conference? And let's run through the who is there, who's speaking. So with a few minutes we have left, give us a rundown. <laughs> Yes, I, I really think the annual conference is uh, going to be a, a unique one. It's got, um, you know, we got Rich Cordray coming to speak from the podium. Um, we'll, we'll have Julian Castro coming to speak from the podium. Obviously, the heads of the GSEs will be there. Um, we've got, you know, Jay Leno and Colin Powell, which I think is actually, given the politics and the environment we're in today, I think <laughs> Powell's going to be extremely interesting. Um, yeah. Actually, Sunday night, uh, we have Paul Begala and, and uh, Carlson uh, speaking uh, together about the political environment, which I think will be interesting. Um, but there's a lot of interesting, really important breakout periods uh, that I think people will be interested in to co cover everything from MSAs, in which there's an explicit um, breakout session on, uh, to you know how to get in the servicing market, to managing supplier diversity, uh, in order to be compliant under the rules. I mean, it really is an extraordinary co um, conference put together, and I think there's going to be – and Mel Watt will be speaking there at the podium as well, so we're going to have all the key regulators there. Um, and then, of course, a free concert with Cheryl Crow for anybody who's registered. So, I mean, I think, I, I think this is going to be one where if you took almost any one of these individual items and said, is that worth the money to go – get on yeah. the webinar and hear it, a lot of people would pay for it, but you get it all at one shot. I, I, I can't see anything right now beating the need to be at this conference because there's going to be a lot of policy announcements from the podium uh, coming from various key regulators there, and it's going to be policy announcements that everybody's going to want to hear. You, know, you look at this, the lineup of speakers. I mean, every, every you could say and argue that every annual conference is significant, but in the environment we're in today, who you have speaking at this one, is probably probably the most important conference you've ever thrown. I'm really excited about it, and uh, you know, just kudos for turning that Cheryl uh, Crow or that that event each conference into anyone attending. It, they get to go in free. I, I really applaud that. That's one of the things you did when you took over as, as the president and CEO. So great job all the way around. It's got a great lineup. Uh, it's again in San Diego. Uh, rooms. I tried to get a room in some place. Man, this, this is going to be a well attended conference, David. Yeah, where registrations are several hundred ahead of where they were last year. So uh, this will be, you know, each year since I've come to the NBA, each annual has been progressively larger. This will be larger than anyone I've been to yet since coming here. So um, I think a lot has to do with the fact we have, we all have so much we need to learn, uh, yeah. and you can't you can't you spend a grand and you know you couldn't get this through weeks of course load and and time consuming information here. You get it all under one roof all in just a couple of days. So I think it's going to yeah. be good. Excellent. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes. We're two minutes out from having to wrap this up. Appreciate you being here again, David. Looking forward to having Mike Frantantoni on the broadcast next week and uh, getting an update 
on his latest information, some of which he won't be able to totally share. He says, I can't release everything, Dave, over the broadcast, but he will be giving us a lot of update and mostly the perspective of what's going on. Appreciate the partnership we have with you and uh, just your availability to come on and share with our listeners. We're now approaching with this broadcast. We just crossed over 400,000 downloads of this broadcast or listens it's just extraordinary so thank you for your year this broadcast was uh it was a, it was a milestone you kicked us over the four hundred thousand mark david good job thank you <laughs> basic just, just continues to amaze me thank you so much david have a great rest of the day uh again next thank week you. we've got you bet uh next week we've got uh coming back on mike frattentoni chief economist for the mba i get to go have dinner with the with Jay Brinkman uh, on Wednesday night in New Orleans, he's moved there. I'm going to be excited to have uh, be on with him, and uh, we're so excited to have uh, the opportunity to have these comments. I sat down with Doug Duncan and Mark Fleming. Mark Fleming is the chief economist for uh, yeah. The, um, CoreLogics, and then, of course, Doug, chief economist for Fannie Mae. We sat down. I talked to Doug. I said, man, I feel smarter sitting at the table with two economists. And, yeah, Doug says, yeah, with two economists, you'll at least get four opinions. I loved it. Great sense of humor. And so uh, join us next week as we go to having these, uh, to, to listening to the latest update of what's going on economically. A lot of emails are coming in. I know we didn't get to all your questions today, everybody, but it's so good to have David be with us. And tune in next week. Well, yes, I will. I see one note. Have him back soon. <laughs> okay. We got a lot of questions for David when he comes back next time. Good to have you with us, everybody. Have a great rest of the week. And look forward to having you and uh, hearing from you. Send us your emails. Who you would like to have on? Yes, we want David back. I heard that loud and clear. And we'll look forward to have you back and next week. Thank you so much. Have a great week, everybody. This has been Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lincoln of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Alvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week and thank you for listening.